Hello, and welcome to Beyond Organic Wine. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. Let me repeat that. Thank you. Producing this podcast over the last four years has changed my life in the most profound way. From being able to connect with you and learn from you and share with you. You have supported this podcast in so many ways, whether by simply downloading it and listening to it and engaging with the questions and ideas in your own life, or by sharing it with friends, or by giving your time and expertise in a conversation with me for an episode, or by financial support, or by sending encouraging messages. It's been incredibly humbling, and I am so grateful to have you as one of the most important parts of my life. But even more than I'm thinking about gratitude this week, I'm thinking of complexity. Isn't it time that we all grew up and acknowledged that life isn't simple? Maybe this is a question especially for Americans as we celebrate our very American holiday of Thanksgiving this week. This holiday embodies some of the ugliest and most beautiful aspects of our culture. On one hand, the Thanksgiving tradition is a lie that conceals the displacement and genocide of Native Americans. It's also a gluttonous feast of overconsumption and waste. On the other hand, it's a uniquely non-religious holiday centered around the incredibly important idea of being grateful. It's a time when we gather with family and friends when the only thing that we celebrate is the specialness of being alive and the fact that we have each other to share this life with. I would argue that if you ignore the ugly part of Thanksgiving, you deny truth in your life. But if you ignore the beautiful part of Thanksgiving, you deny joy in your life. I wish we could have the one without the other, but I haven't found many cases of that in my life. If there's one thing I've learned from doing this podcast, it's the more you learn about something, the more complex you realize things are. The more you realize there is to learn, the more you realize you don't know. I heard a great quote that went something like this. When you're a child, you think your parents are gods. When you become an adolescent, you realize they're human. When you become an adult, you forgive them for it. And then when you become wise, you forgive yourself for it. My guest for this episode is Nick Dugmore. Nick is a winemaker in South Australia for his winery, The Stoke. I love that name. <laughs> Sounds so Australian, too. Nick listened to the episode I recorded with Jeff Lowenfels about the soil microbiome, and he's been traveling down the regenerative viticulture rabbit hole ever since. In 2023, he was named Australia's Young Gun of Wine. And then four months ago, he was diagnosed with stage three bowel cancer. He's 39 years old. When you hear Nick's positivity, humor, and joy, keep in mind that he's in the midst of the following treatment schedule. Five three-week rounds of chemotherapy with one week of intravenous followed by 112 tablets over two weeks and then a week break. Then six weeks of radiotherapy, that's after the five three-week rounds of chemo, six weeks of radiotherapy, which is five days a week at the hospital for 45 minutes, and then a three-month break, and finally, surgery to remove what's left. We talk frankly about his cancer and the fact that his alcohol consumption may have contributed to it. Yet Nick is incredibly grateful to work in wine, and he loves the winemaking community. Both Nick and I can thank wine for the most important relationships in our lives, our spouses. But if his cancer was caused by alcohol, there's a chance that alcohol could take his life. Both are parts of wine. 
and there are many more. Nick talks about the wine community that has come to his aid, and he talks about the spirituality of wine, and the beauty of Kangaroo Island, where he converted 12 acres of conventional vineyard to a thriving, regenerative ecosystem. He makes some profound connections between soil health, physical health, and mental health. And at least twice, he mentions how busy we all are and how this leads us to make thoughtless decisions because we don't have the time to be thoughtful. It reminds me of the famous quote from Bill Mollison's Permaculture Designer's Manual. The philosophy behind permaculture is one of working with rather than against nature, of protracted and thoughtful observation rather than protracted and thoughtless action. As I think about regenerating wine, Nick has made me think about how important time is. The speed of our lives is completely antithetical to the complexity of life. Look at how patiently nature grows an ecosystem. Look how it builds complexity and diversity and layer by layer over centuries. I want to make wine this way. I want to think about wine this way and let this perspective inform the decisions I make for this vintage. I want to stop rushing around to buy things when I don't know where they came from or how they were made. I want to take the time to observe and learn about complex things carefully. I want to take the time to be grateful. If you're moved by Nick's story, he mentions a GoFundMe campaign that his wine community set up for him and his family, and I'll provide that link in the show notes. Enjoy. Welcome, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Okay, we got there. No, thanks for yeah. having me. I'm so excited to chat. Awesome, been, me too. It's been keeping me energized this week. Oh, I have to. What do you mean by that? Oh, just at the moment with my treatment, I just, it's a roller coaster. The first, after an infusion, I'm having an infusion um, every third Friday, chemotherapy. Uh-huh. And then I make two weeks worth of tablets. And I just, right. for the first 10 days, I'm just floating through the world, sort of chemoed up to the eyeballs and just, yeah, just roaming around, feeling the most inorganic I've ever felt in my life. It's just disgusting. (laughs) And to know know what I'm doing, well, what I'm doing to my body, what chemotherapy is doing to my body, it's just, it's it's sort of blowing my mind. It's why I've um, been excited to chat, really. Mm. Well, where are you? Um, we, we live in South Australia. We live in a little town called Wollonga, which is about an hour south of Adelaide. Okay. And then we have a vineyard on Kangaroo Island. So from, from where we live, we, it's an hour drive and then you get a 45-minute ferry ride over to Kangaroo Island. And then uh-huh. from the other side of the – Kangaroo Island's the third biggest island in Australia. And then from the other side, we travel another hour out to our vineyard. We've got 12 acres um, just sort of in the middle of nowhere, really. Yeah, it sounds kind of remote, just with all that driving and ferrying. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's the most incredible place. It's such a beautiful, bit spiritual place. But it's, um, yeah, a typical spray day for me is I wake up at 4 a.m., travel three and a half hours to get to the vineyard, drive the tractor for eight hours, and then travel three and a half hours back to pick the kids up from childcare. Oh, the dinner routine. Yeah, it's not ideal. It's a little chink in our sustainability armor, that's for sure. But so, why? We, did, what, what, what drew you to Kangaroo Island? I mean, why? Um, why are you out there with the vineyard? We've been going on family holidays since I was 
really little out to out to the island and we just sort of take everything that we need and we just settle in we, there was a little house at a beach it was private and we just stay there for two weeks and fish and cook really nice food and have big fires on the beach and go spear fishing and it was just a bit of a dream and then in 2008 I did a vintage with a couple of mates and we saved up a bit of cash and we had a van and a dog and the bed in the van and we traveled to KI we were meant to be there for six weeks. We were going on a surf trip around Australia. We were meant to be on KI for six weeks, but we ended up staying for eight months in the end, and we didn't see any any anything else in Australia. But <laughs> we were just loving it over there. The surf was amazing. The people were beautiful. Started playing football over there, which I ended up playing football for seven years there. Football is oh, Australian, wow. Australian rules football. Um, so, wait, did you play professionally on Kangaroo Island? Or what do you mean? No, no, no. Oh, okay. We're just, having, we're just having a ball, really. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of fun. And there's a whole sports community over there, which is which is really nice. You go to training on a Wednesday night and then you, you play games on a Saturday. And then you, you play a game on a Saturday and then you're still at the club at 3 a.m., you know, just having fun with everybody. Because you, you, out there in the country, you just, you know, in the city, it's fun is sort of spoon-fed to you. There's so many options out there you've got to create right. your own fun um which yeah. they did definitely i had some incredible times out there that sounds yeah. amazing yeah okay. and just and just very nice people but then i started i started working i'd done wine marketing at university out of school and then i got a job with a place called kangaroo island estate and i worked for them for two years and that's what really taught me about viticulture and the potential of this region um it taught me all about that over those two years. But then I realized, and my dream was, you know, to develop Kangaroo Island as a, help develop Kangaroo Island as a wine region. Um, but then I realized I needed to go and get a lot more experience myself. I needed to develop myself a lot more before I could sort of get on that quest. But then... Um, <laughs> where are you with that dream now? I mean, does do you still have the same dream or has that evolved into something else? My, my dreams definitely changed since being diagnosed with cancer. It's changed a lot. But I still want to, I'm still so passionate about KI. And we're really lucky viticulturally. It's cool climate Mediterranean because it's an island. The days don't get as hot and the nights don't get as cool and there's always a breeze. And we don't have any neighbouring vineyards where we are. Our closest neighbours are probably 30 kilometres away, I think. Oh, wow. With with vineyards, that is. Um so we don't have any disease pressure from people around us doing the wrong thing. So it's been, because we're pretty, we, we got the vineyard in 2020 and um, we converted, it was it was treated pretty conventionally and we converted it to regenerative farming. And I was inspired so much by one of your podcasts. It was the one with Jeff Lowenfels. Mm. I just love that. He's a hilarious character. The way he is. <laughs> He's yeah. a, he is a character. <laughs> Yeah, but I that's down the rabbit hole of the um, soil health and what's going on down there. It's and such so a great, in, yeah. Also. His books are such a great introduction to to yeah. what's going on. I mean, the amazing amount of things that are going on in the soil. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty hard to fathom, and I think that's the yeah a, a big issue. Um, yes, <laughs> but also, but also, you can relate that to. I don't know what it's like in America, but in Australia, um, you know, mental health is an epidemic as well. I think there's nine people in Australia a day who commit suicide and seven of them are men. But now mm. 
we're all talking about our mental health now. Like, you know, you catch up with a mate you haven't seen for a while. You go, how are you, how are you traveling? You know, how's your mental health? And mm. you talk about stress and you talk about these things. We're really open about it. And it's so nice because mental, mental health, I think it's been such a hard one for people to get their heads around because you can't see it. Yeah. And, it, and it's the same thing with soil health. We can, we can see these, you know, you pump nitrogen in and you pump all your macronutrients in and you see this beautiful vine booming on the top of the soil, but you can't see what's going, going on underneath. Mm. So, and now we're really the regenerative revolution, you know, we're really starting to understand what's going on down there and how, how many, I don't know, the processes that, that it takes to grow a healthy vine and a resilient vine or any kind of plant. But yeah, I've gone down that rabbit hole hard since being diagnosed with cancer because I'm so bloody scared of what I'm putting in my body. Yeah. Even if we get this organic yogurt that we would eat normally before I was diagnosed, but even in the first period of not knowing whether I was it was terminal or not, which was it took eight days to find out. I've got bowel cancer, but it's, it took eight days to find out whether it was anywhere else in my body. Uh-huh. And that period, I remember opening up a tub of yogurt sitting on the couch and thinking, fuck, this isn't right. Why is it coming out of a plastic tub? <laughs> <laughs> I was just freaking out, you know. Well, I've, I, I'm just going to pause for a second to highlight what you said about mental health and and not seeing it and what's in the soil. And I think there's yeah. so much more of a direct connection between those things than we realize, you know. Mm-hmm. And our disconnection from the soil is, you know, not not like the cause of uh, all the mental health issues, but it is, you know, I think just disconnection in general um, is a big part of that. And I, I mean, I, I thought that was incredibly profound, what you just said. Yeah. And yeah, with the, the plastic tub, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a permaculturist. And one of the mm-hmm. principles of permaculture is um, produce no waste. And when you just look at your life from that, any normal Western life, and try to live by that, you realize how much waste you actually produce every day. <laughs> like, um, and it's yeah. stuff like that. Like you buy these really great regenerative, regeneratively farmed products that come in plastic tubs, or you go to get your organic salad and they come in a, you know, plastic clamshell and, mm-hmm. and how, you know, so I'm like, now when I go to the store, I'm like, I've refused to buy clamshells now. I'm like either, looking for just the loose lettuces or whatever, you know, and if it's not like, if I can't get my arugula, <laughs> you know, in a bag or something like that, I don't get arugula anymore. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a slippery slope. Once you start caring about these things, <laughs> you start yeah. seeing things different. And life is so fast paced for so, so many of us. It's hard to, well, it's easy to just turn a blind eye to that stuff. You're like, Oh, fool, yeah. I feel guilty, but shit, I got to get this done. You know? Yeah. We try and do a lot of things like that. Now I'm just putting five big veggie boxes out in, in the front of our place and I'm going to try and grow everything that we, that we eat or the main vegetables and things that we eat a lot of. Yeah. I just want it to come from soil that I can trust. Yeah. Yeah. Just been, I mean, th- yeah, just absolutely. Gotten, I don't, they don't know what causes bowel cancer yet, but, you know, they can't say like lung cancer. They know that smoking will cause lung cancer. But they can't. Yeah. Um, they they haven't figured it out what causes bowel cancer yet. But it's actually a young person's disease. It's increased 
I'd have to look this up. You want to fact check this, but it's increased by something like 90% in the last five or 10 years. In wow. Europe. Yeah. So it's and kind of crazy. How old I really are you? Like, I'm 39. Yeah, that's young. Yeah. And it was a massive curveball. I had absolutely no idea. Mm. No, I just didn't. Yeah, my poo, just one day my poo was a bit funny and I could see blood every now and then, a little bit graphic. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, yeah, then seven weeks later, my world changed completely. What did that mean for your winery? So, I mean, we should mention your winery, um, the Stoke. Yeah, the Stoke. Yeah, we, our, we, we used to farm a vineyard on Stokes Bay Road on Kangaroo Island, so we called our winery the Stoke. Okay. Um, but now our new vineyard, which we've had for four years, is not far from Stokes Bay as well. That's Cassini? Cassini, that's right. Okay. Yeah, it was planted in 99. But then we've, we've had the Stoke since 2016. And then when COVID happened, I lost my job. I was working at a winery, Wirra Wirra in McLaren Vale. And I lost my job and went full time on our business and just started to ramp it up from there. But I lost my job the same week we we got this vineyard, <laughs> yeah. which I went home and told my wife, and she was like, "Ooh, um, <laughs> yeah." She was really supportive. She was amazing. But then, uh, then the next year we got three tons because we ripped the bandaid off um, the conventionally treated vineyard. Yeah, this and is three tons out of twelve acres, right? Twelve acres, yeah. Yeah, so the inflorescence just didn't show the time when it's meant to shoot. And then, and then I was wondering, which is an another, another analogy for, which, which has really blown my mind, the similarities between soil health and gut health. And yeah. my theory is on why we, I've spoken to so many people about it, but my theory on why the inflorescence didn't show them was because they didn't, those vines didn't get their nitrogen hit that year. So they would normally just pump it in. The soil seemed pretty average um, and they would just pump their nutrients onto the vines each year. And I think what I believe is the vines have the ability just to, well, they just switch off and they're waiting for their nitrogen hit. Why would they bother producing their own when it can be, they can just be bottle fed. Right. You know, and then the same thing with Yeah, why waste your energy? Yeah. Yeah, it's if like no, making, you know, going out and networking when people just deliver to you food yeah, for free. Exactly. Yeah. So why why bother? But there was also a lot of cape weed in our vineyard, which means the soils are quite acidic, which means mm-hmm. probably the mycorrhizal fungi is not doing the job that it's meant to be doing, mm-hmm. or maybe even non-existent. So it's not delivering nitrogen right. use form up to those vines unless it's pumped on, and they. I don't know if pumping on nitrogen if mycorrhizal deliver it or if it takes it up some other way. I'm not too sure. But anyway, it feels like the vines were sitting back and just waiting for their hit and then they're like, oh, shit, nothing's coming. And then it took a year and, and a lot of a hell of a lot of other work as well, don't get me wrong. We did a lot of stuff out in the vineyard. Um, what else? Oh, we cane pruned. The, it was planted in 99, so the vines are 20 years old and we cut off the old arms and we did some arch cane pruning. So we okay. put in new white, cut off the old arms, but leave a heap of shoots coming from the crown that we can choose from. And then we would put in two new wires and pick the best looking canes to arch up over the top wire and then zip tie it to the bottom wire. And the reason we do that is, well, it creates a lot of airflow for the vine. So it's really nice spread out. Your buds shoot where they are and it's really nice and spread out. So there's a lot lower disease pressure. Um, but but having the arch there as well creates a really even flow of 
the flow on, on nutrients through the vine and you get rid of apical dominance as well. So you so your buds at the end of that cane are not the ones that, that are going to get all of the, the goodness. It'll be spread out through the through that cane and all the buds will shoot nice and evenly and your fruit will ripen well and you get a good metre or more length on your shoots so they can ripen those bunches there. Can I ask you, do you know why um, that arch uh, combats apical dominance? I think it's because... Is it a hormone signal? Yeah it's, yeah, it's hormonal balance throughout. But imagine the, the nutrients running through the vine like water runs through a pipe. And water doesn't just push through as a solid bit through a pipe, it spirals along. So if you've wrapped your cane tight down a wire at cordon height and, and it's wrapped around to the end point and then your nutrient is flowing around, it might miss a bud, you know, it might be on the other side of the cane. So it's not pushing with the force that it would push um, evenly through all the buds. And then, you know, water hits an end point, like the nutrients hit the end point of the cane and it will, it'll have a lot more pressure at the end. So you get your apical dominance. So the buds around the, the buds around the crown of the vine will shoot a lot more and be a lot healthier. And then through the middle of the cane, you're struggling a little bit. And then at the end of the cane, they, they come good again. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, ours is ours is really high now. It's nearly at it's a little bit below chest height. I'm only five ten. Okay. But, um, but picking is a dream. You don't have to bend down as much. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, got, we've got some friends in McLaren Vale Orbis wines, and they've got um, uh, what are those? Oh, I've had a mental blank. The sheep. They're they're just miniature sheep, and they they're training their vines higher so that the sheep can be in there full time all year right. round. Right. Yeah. That's the other advantage or one of the other advantages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, okay. Yeah, so possibly. now how much production do you get in this four years after after starting to work with this vineyard? Uh, we last this year, we got 29 tons. So that's better. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, financially, it makes sense. Well, the pruning technique, um, it makes sense on so many different levels, but the pruning technique costs about three times as much as than if we were to go through and just spur prune. Ah, got it. Yeah, but so it's lab, more labor intensive, but the benefits for us are just huge. The quality of the fruit is incredible. It just ripe, right. ripens so perfectly. And then last year was a tough growing season. We had, so for example, in McLaren Vale, which is warm climate, we normally have maybe one or two downy events a year. And last year they had 10. So oh, people wow. were having to spray a hell of a lot more copper, sulfur and copper. And right. other things, botrytis, and it was just a very wet growing season. Um, but over where we were, without, I still sprayed quite a lot because I was just just sulfur and copper, and we use a liquid seaweed as well. But you know, uh -huh. I'm nervous. Of, if I lost a crop, then um, I'd have to go and get a real job. You know, so <laughs> that would make me nervous too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did spray quite a bit. I sprayed eleven times that season. Um, but yeah. the fruit that we got was just amazing. And this year I'm planning on spraying five or six. It's a really good growing yeah. season this year. It's one extreme to the other. It's been nice and right. hot already and dry and, and, and looking really good. This could be a good vintage for us. Right. So what, what stage are you right now? I mean, we're like post-harvest here and it's you know cold and, yeah, we might actually get rain in L.A. this week if we're lucky. Um, but where yeah. are you in your growing season? Um, I just visited yesterday for the first time since I was diagnosed. 
and and the shoots are probably 30 centimetres and we're just, okay. a few of the varieties are just finishing flowering and then the Cabernet and Shiraz is probably partway through and the Cabernet is just starting to flower. Okay. But, yeah, it's looking really good. <laughs> nice. Now, I'm excited about this one, although I'm going to be having radiotherapy right in the middle of vintage. So that's oh, going to be exciting. Yeah, so Oof. I'm seriously having to plan ahead for this one. Um, so but, you, you, when, when did you get your diagnosis? It was the 17th of August, so nearly four months ago. So you haven't been out yeah. to the vines in four months. So what's been happening with them? Who's taking oh, care of them? Oh, we've just had, I feel so lucky, Adam, to be a part of the wine industry. People have just come. I put it out on our Instagram and the support was, you know, I went fishing for love. And, um, and it just came, it just came in buckets for, you know, it was just incredible. I feel so lucky to be a part of the wine industry, but we had one of my mates, it makes me a bit emotional, actually. One of my mates, um, Anton, he, Anton Groffin, he's the viticulturist at Wirrawera. He knows what he's doing. He's one of the best in the game. And he came to me and he said, I'm taking the vineyard off your hands, which was unreal. Cause I have to be close to hospitals and stuff and, um, yeah. Nice to be close to the family too. So he's just been managing it all. And then some other friends started a GoFundMe and people contributed to that. And um, we had a, a company that sells all chemicals, donated everything that we need for the whole season and it's all organic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it just and – then, and then people who follow us on Instagram just bought so much wine. So it's uh, – it brought a big financial relief as well. But there's been so many other things. Our local cafe is making food for us every second Wednesday, loading up the freezer, and some our friends in Wollonga have started delivering food each week and just there's so much because we've, we've got a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old and my wife, you know, sometimes after I get my infusion, I have to sort of check out because my body's just a mess. I'm actually glyphosating. I'm rounding my body right now. Right. <laughs> And I'm killing everything. If I if I was continue the way that I was going and just keep eating this chemo, then I would just die. But mm. but um, oh. the support has been yeah, the support's been overwhelming, and that's why I'm talking about the spirituality of wine, which is what I really believe in. What what got me addicted to this industry is oh is yeah beyond, yeah is beyond. What you do know, you mean by spirituality? Oh, just the I suppose. Um, the ability of wine to just highlight and heighten the um, how special an occasion is, or to take mm -hmm. a take an occasion to the next level when you bring out a bottle of wine. There's no other drink in the world I think that can do that, you know. And and then just the people involved is so passionate. They don't, we don't earn a million bucks or anything. We're just right. really passionate about what we do. So you have a connection with everybody who's in the industry. I think straight away. You don't have to have anything else in common, really. But if you like making wine, you like drinking wine, then you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. We are all the same kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always someone crazier than you in this industry as well, which is quite nice to know. <laughs> um, yeah, but that all that support that came when I was diagnosed was just like, it's all kind of surrounded around wine and the mm. industry that we're in. You know, I just I think, what if I was a lawyer or something? Would the same sort of support happen? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, the poor lawyers, they get picked on all the time. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I come in handy every now and then, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah well, I mean, what else has this uh, diagnosis sort of made you think about? I mean, you you mentioned this connection and uh, the way that you've been learning about regenerative agriculture. I'm just wondering if there was more to that that you wanted to say. I suppose a big one for me, because I'm, I'm racking my brain as to what, I feel like I know what caused my cancer, but um, I'll never be 100% sure. But there's so many other things that are, something's causing bowel cancer and I feel like they're going to figure it out soon. There's just too much of it around. It can't just be, there's got to be an element of bad luck, but it can't be just bad luck. So it just made yeah. me think about everything that we're putting into our bodies and then everything that we're putting into the soil and then what goes into your soil will, the, the, will end up in your stomach, you know, in your gut. And then gut health relates so closely to mental health. And it's just we're just realizing how much of a part of the system that we are, and our gut is that our gut biome is our mycorrhizal fungi yeah. that helps our body out so much. The same way that that fungi helps a vine. Yeah, it was a really interesting thing. Oh, after I was diagnosed, we went up to we went up to our friend's farm, and their horses were out in the paddock, and they're really furry. It's the middle. It was oh cold. It wasn't not. The, it's the end of winter, but it's quite cold, and the horses are really furry. And I was like, oh, what's up with your horses? Why are they looking so fuzzy? And they said, oh, that's just what happens for a horse naturally. You know, horses—they're a wild animal. They live out in the cold all year. But if someone if someone buys a horse, and then you know that's a pretty big purchase. And you think, oh wow, I got really got to look after this thing. And they put it in a stable in the winter, and they put a coat on it. And if you put a coat on the horse. It doesn't grow that fuzzy hair. It doesn't need to. So its body will say, oh, no, don't worry about it. You're getting a coat this winter. And it will take, it takes a horse's body three months to realize that it's not getting a coat that winter and it will grow that hair back. Mm -hmm. So, and then I was thinking about vines and nitrogen. If we're pumping nitrogen onto our vine, does it just switch off that next year? Does it think, oh, no, don't worry about it. Let's not work hard. Let's, um, just wait yeah. it back for everything that you know, like like uh, Jeff talks about the human becoming the base of the soil food web when your mycorrhizal fungi is not doing anything so the vine just sits right. back and waits and then I think about gut health and the amount of ibuprofen that I've taken because I've I've had a um, inflamed lower disc irritated lower disc in my back and every two or three weeks you know I might take ibuprofen for three or four days and then that'll get it in check and then I'll take some more when it gets sore again rather than stopping and using uh, temperature to control it or having more natural anti-inflammatories like turmeric and green tea and just rest in general would be a good one. But then when yeah. you put ibuprofen into your body, it stops the production of prostaglandins which which do cause pain and they do cause inflammation but there's they also... Um, help to fight it so they, they cause the pain and inflammation because you need to know when you're injured so then you can stop and right. and do the right things to feel better um, but then they also start to fight it so if you start feeding your body neurofin and it stops the production of prostaglandins I, I wonder I haven't found uh, people need to check this out I'm no medical pro or anything but um, 
yeah, if you feed yourself ibuprofen, will my body then just switch off its natural ability to fight inflammation and just wait for the hit of ibuprofen? And in that right. period, maybe, maybe my cancer cells that sit dormant in all of us, maybe it managed to get some blood flow. And that's when those cells woke up. I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's, it's I, I mean, like you said, we're not doctors, but it's, it is, it's an interesting concept to consider. Like, yeah, exactly what you're saying. I mean, I, I have that attitude of just by default to, if I'm in pain or, you know, experiencing some, something like my first thought is not, oh, let me deaden that. It's, mm. hmm, I wonder what caused that and what do I need to do? What behavior do I need to change to eliminate it going forward? <laughs> you know, like, like, oh, I've been sitting on my butt all day and, and eating mm-hmm. potato chips. Maybe that's why I feel crappy, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But so many of uh, us would just say, oh, I'm sore today. I'm just going to eat some drugs, you know, right. and I'll feel better and I can just carry on with my day. Yeah. And then, but then you, it's just, oh, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right. But yeah. we don't, I don't know. It's such a busy life. You don't want to stop. So last last year, um, which and the timeline works quite well with my tumour, um, I had a chest infection for about six weeks and I didn't stop and I didn't stop drinking and I didn't really, I don't know, I didn't do the right things to make myself feel better. And then at the end of that chest infection, I still had a little bit of a wispy cough and I went over to the, our vineyard to prune. And then, and on day two, I got a bit of a rash on my forehead. And then long story short, I ended up in emergency and the rash was all over my body, completely covered. And my face swelled up. And that's why I thought, oh, we better go to hospital. And um, yeah, it was at the time of monkeypox as well. And they were like, oh, this guy's got monkeypox. And they put me in, a, <laughs> in this glass box in the hospital. Um, but it turned out, well, the dermatologists think it was a spider bite. But during the time that I had the rash, I was having eight to ten hot showers a day, like as hot as you could possibly handle. And they, it felt incredible. It was just euphoric. I was like, I craved those showers and I was definitely a bit addicted to it. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty funny. But I looked into I looked into that and that's the release of serotonin in your brain. So I was getting excess serotonin for ten days. It would have been until it faded away and then I really missed it. Um, but when you when you have that amount, I've, I've read a few articles that, or a few studies that um, relate excess serotonin to the, the start and also the progression of, of tumours in your mucosa, which is your bowel. Wow. But, yeah, but I've sent all this to the oncologist because I pass everything through those guys. I'm not going to do, I'm too scared to try any alternative um, alternative therapies or anything like that i'm doing a lot of complementary stuff but yeah i pass yeah. it through those guys and they said that they're not too sure about the serotonin there hasn't been much research done on that but they think um th- because my immune system was down for so long and then i got the rash at the end of it and then uh, because of the serotonin i was definitely a bit depressed for a while i've been really blessed with my mental health i feel very lucky um but yeah, definitely for about three or four months after that that massive hit of serotonin, I was depressed for a while. And when you're depressed, mental health relates to gut health. Your body's a bit depressed. And at some point, because they think my tumour was 16 months, 16 or 18 months before I knew it was there, before I was diagnosed. 
and that timeline matches up perfectly with that period. So they think it was just my immune system being so down and out and that's when the cancer would have kicked off. Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was kind well, of crazy. You, but. I mean, <laughs> I was just thinking of the spider bite. You guys have some no-joke spiders in <laughs> part of the world. <laughs> yeah, um, it's- that I would not want to be bit by. Um, I don't know if you've encountered it, but there's like a YouTube video called At Least We Don't Have AR-15s. Have you seen that song? Yeah. It's a song. Oh, well, anybody listening and yourself included should do themselves a, a treat and watch At Least okay. We Don't Have AR-15s. It's it's uh, an Australian song. Ah, what's an AR-15? Oh, you, are you serious? <laughs> You're my hero. <laughs> really? Shit. <laughs> it is, uh, it's an assault rifle. It's an assault rifle that is the number one used rifle in all the mass shootings in oh, America. Hell. Yeah, you guys are yeah. a mess over there with that stuff. Yeah, you were, you, were, you were wondering if we have a mental health issue. I mean, there you yeah. go. But um, do, people, anyway. do people speak about mental health openly, though? Like, would you and your mates... Or is it a bit like, you know, harden the fuck up, get over it? Oh, that's a good question. I think I'm probably an outlier where, yeah, for sure, my friends and I are definitely open about it. But, um, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how much that translates to every, everyone else, honestly. Yeah. I always speak for myself. Um, okay. But definitely I see more and more discussion of it in the news and in, and you know, in mm-hmm. TV and film. There's a lot more open discussion about it and in sports and yeah Yeah. Mm. oh that's good at least people are starting to talk about it because it's the same thing with soil health it gives me hope for yeah um, for the for regenerative farming and and soil health of people if we can educate more people that's why i love what you're doing so much it's so valuable you know just to get the word out there and get people to start thinking about where their food's coming from and start to trust the soil that it comes from now yeah, no, it's true. Um, I, I get excited when I get to talk to somebody like you who is is finding connections and so many things related to it as well. Um, yeah, I, so I wanted to ask you more yeah. about just you and your wine and your award for being young gun of wine. <laughs> was that something <laughs> that happened? When, when when did that happen? Yeah, that was earlier this year. Yeah, we got the vineyard was that on for. Our- yeah, was that like personally for you or for your winery or what was that? Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose it's we've we've got people to help us out and my old man helps out a lot. But yeah, it's just us, just me really for Stoke. Okay. So gotcha. it was for me and the winery, I suppose. <laughs> right. Um no, it was so it was just to do with all of the Young Gun of Wine has been around for 18 years here in Australia. They do a really good job. Um and yeah, it was for just all the, you write your story in and say what your plan is and they, six judges assess it all and it's it's Australia-wide competition and they just see what you're up to, what you're doing for your region and what you're doing in your vineyard, hear your story and then they taste your wines, of course. You've got to have good wines. Um, not that we make show, we don't make show wines at all. I don't, we try and make our wines without using the word natural as naturally as possible. I suppose. Right. Um, but yeah, they assess all that and then and give out six different awards for d- different categories. Yeah, and we got the Vineyard on one. It was really encouraging. 
because you know sometimes when you're out there in the winter pruning away you think shit what am i doing That's great. <laughs> oh i feel that yeah yeah <laughs> especially when you get no. bitten by it's true it's true it's uh yeah i <laughs> well I, I wanted to give you a chance to to say anything else about your wine as well um i'd love to yeah please but, yeah i suppose we make we I've termed our wines considered wines because I don't really believe in the in the natural wine scene. I think it's been it's it's been um, I think the philosophy around it is a really nice one. It's coming from a really nice place, but I think the whole notion has been taken for granted a little bit. People have taken it and run with it, and it doesn't really sit right with me. So we do we make considered wines where we every decision that we make we consider seriously and we consider it with the future generations in mind. We try and farm the right way. We try and treat the soil the right way. And then in the winery, um, we have a very hands-off approach, I suppose. We don't, we, we add yeast to our rosé because I've found a yeast that I really love with rosé. Uh-huh. And we add a little bit of acid to our rosé this year. But apart from that, we don't do any additions or anything. And we try and make it a little bit more. Our wines are a bit more of a... European in style, medium bodied, um, but quite complex. I want to make wines that will age well as well as uh, able to drink young. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the grapes, we pick the grapes. Everything's hand-picked. We can't get a machine harvester out to where we are, not that I would want to anyway. Yeah. Um, and then it does one trip back to the winery and we make it all and bottle it all there. We do everything from start to finish, which is me trying to combat the fact that I – travel quite a lot as well. So then we store it there yeah. and then it goes out to market from there. But we're at about, we started off with two tonnes and now we make about 35 tonnes. Yeah. And we do a bit of, um, we do a bit of contract making for some other guys as well. Nice. How yeah, has, sorry. I, I, no, 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 go ahead. Oh, no, you go. Well, you had, a, there were a couple of things. I know you have a t-shirt that says sulfur doesn't cause domestic violence. Um, <laughs> no, I haven't, I haven't printed that one yet. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm also I'm wondering. Um, I, I love your story where you you pulled the cancer card on your dad because he was going to spray some uh, herbicide, right? Yeah, he Isn't wanted that? to spray. Yeah, he wanted to spray some Roundup under a spot where we we're going to put a, a tank, a diesel tank, so we can fill the tractor up and stuff. And he, took, he was taking some over to KI and I rang him up and I said, don't you dare spray glyphosate. So even in that little spot, I said, Dad, I have fucking cancer. <laughs> but, yeah, it's great because that's an, another analogy that the fact that I'm, you know, chemotherapy is glyphosate for my body. It's destroying everything. And then I have to personally go and regenerate after this. So I'm yeah. I'm so certain. I feel so positive because I've worked a lot on my mental health. I'm doing a lot of meditation, which has uh-huh. helped massively. And I feel like it's a, a complementary medicine that's not going to compromise any of the modern medicine that's going on with me right now. So it feels yeah. like a, a really strong weapon in this fight if I can stay positive and stay on top of my, my mental health because it's, it's such a challenge. There's so many, I don't know, you just, your mind runs wild, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah if, I can, I, if I can keep that in yeah. check and I feel like I'm in a well, strong I mean, you're, you're, I mean, this is the other time when I realize the, the deep connection between our mind and our body and, uh, 
you know, the inextricability of those two things is when I'm, when I'm sick because my mind becomes depressed when my body is low energy and run down, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, you can, you can talk yourself through that. You can tell yourself to, and remind yourself that that's true, but you still feel it nonetheless. And it is a hard battle, um, mm-hmm. dealing with, dealing with illness. Um, yeah, I think the, yeah, the, the older I get, the more, you know, my health is the thing I'm most grateful for i I, or i it's not the most grateful for but i i cannot you know i can't believe how much i took it for granted when i was younger you know what i mean yeah uh and just you know binge drinking right well and that's what i was going to ask you about was just like how does alcohol what what is your attitude toward alcohol and how's that changed Mm, no yeah that's changed a lot that's a that's a really tough one because that's what we do for a living, but maybe alcohol caused my bowel cancer, uh-huh. you know? So it's a yeah. tough, it's a really tough one. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry, I'm just thinking a bit. It's, I, um, that's where the spirituality of wine comes into it for me, I think. I'm definitely going to, I'll view, I'll view alcohol as more of a, a special treat. Right myself and i want people to i want to create wines that people feel that way about as well i want our wines to be special for people yeah rather than just you know just smash them yeah um and i want yeah i don't know it's such it's so hard i'm still thinking so much about this one but well i mean i'll just i mean while you're thinking i'll just jump in and say like i have this thing about you know, tobacco as well as we, as you were saying, we know tobacco causes lung cancer or not tobacco, but Mm. smoking causes lung cancer. Um, and yet I think I really enjoy tobacco every once in a while in certain forms, you know, now when you take tobacco and mass produce it and stuff it into these things with filters and sell them 20 Mm. in a pack, it, you know, you've lost the spirituality of this plant that has been sacred, you know, in our country for the people who used it originally. And mm. you've now made it this commercial commodity. And of, of course, that leads to addiction. Of course, that leads to dis, dis-ease and unhealth and mm. cancer. Um, yeah. You know, because it's, that's, not, that's not the thoughtfulness that it was meant to be consumed with. But mm. I don't think that means it in and of itself is evil. Uh, um, and I don't think it, you should feel guilty about enjoying it if you do, you know, enjoy it in a ceremonial way or in a sacred way or in a spiritual way or just in a special way in a thoughtful way um but yeah that like (laughs) the uh the mass production of 20 packs of cigarettes is a little ridiculous (laughs) yeah yeah definitely and oh some of the my wife worked in a winery in the riverland because she's from scotland so she needed sponsorship to stay in australia and they've got you know, it would take 15 minutes to walk across the winery that she worked in. They did 100,000 100, tons a year. It's no gallow, but um, right. they're huge. It's the biggest in Australia, and they got 1.2 million litre shardy ferment tanks, you know. Wow. <laughs> and, and sell it for and, – and sell that wine, you know, for $2 a litre. Right. So, or great. less. It just seem, doesn't seem right. They're more wine factories than wineries. Yeah, just finding it out. I'll probably get in trouble for this, but I don't know that the that the Riverland should even exist. It produces about eighty percent of the wine from Australia, but they have to take so much water from the Murray, and vines probably wouldn't survive out there. 
if it wasn't for the level of irrigation that they're doing. Right. Do you have to do irrigation on KI? We do. I'm trying to I'm trying to phase it out, but we had to that first year just getting three tons, we had to give the vines some water. We needed to sort of give them a, a pick-me-up. Yeah. So we did water quite a lot in the first year, and now we're toning it back just to the times where a bit of water is crucial. And if we get a, a heat wave of 40-plus for a week, then we're going to give them a little bit as well just to keep them, get them through that period. Yeah. But, yeah, we have done a lot of work on the irrigation and brought that right back. That was one of the big factors, um, big things that we worked on, as well as the pruning and the soil well but but yeah wine is such a it's a catalyst for human connection you know a connection to the earth as well so it's just tough one because of alcohol being a a class a group one carcinogenic and me (laughs) having cancer so then i'm thinking oh shit you know we're we're sort of dealers of the worst drug in the world which is alcohol but then i just love it and there are so many people been around for thousands and thousands of years. The social lubricant, probably a lot of good ideas have come from people sitting around the table having a few drinks. Right. And a lot of great conversations, you know, and a lot of amazing relationships as well. I met my wife working in a winery in New Zealand. Nice. So yeah. it was pretty special. Well, I, I, I met my wife in a library, but um, yeah. I think I won her over with a bottle of wine that I had made. <laughs> <laughs> so wine comes back into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. No. Well, thank you for sharing your journey, Nick. I really appreciate it. I know it's uh it's very personal stuff you had to share, but really I think it's good to hear, you know, the questions that you're asking, the things that you're seeing, the connections that you're finding and making. It's really um yeah, I think it's a profound uh yeah, an important thanks. part of what we do. No, thanks so much for having me. I'd I'm loving what you're doing. It's just amazing getting the word out, I think, and people learning about soil. Um, I think our assumptions create an atmosphere around us, and if they're noble assumptions, which yours are, and people who push regenerative farming, then you kind of create a bit of a contagious energy, you know, and people want to be around that. So I, I just feel so positive about this this movement. The same thing as mental health was evident in Australia, at least. But, you know, I think it's going to happen around soil health and well, it's definitely happening already. It's only a matter of time, you know. Um, I'm glad to hear your your hopefulness. It's it's uh, infectious in a good way. Oh, cheers. No, yeah, I feel so you. positive. I feel, feel like I'm going to beat this cancer and I just feel like I'm going to be born again. I want to get – I know this is all pretty low level. And I really encourage people listening to go and do their research. Don't just – I'm just talking from my experience. So I want people to go and – you know, check those things out. I've just got theories and stuff, but. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, definitely very hopeful. I feel I do. I want to get educated and I want to educate a hell of a lot more. This is kind of just the start of the journey. Well, the vineyard was the start and then cancer has really pushed me a lot further down that line. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to, your your website is stokewines.au. Yeah. And any other way for people to get in touch that you want people to reach out? No, or no that's, that's perfect. And if, yeah, if anybody wants to message and talk about cancer, I'm so open to it. A lot of people do it. There's no right way to do it, but I want to help people and I want to really encourage people to go and get checked. If bowel cancer is in your family, you should be getting a colonoscopy from the age of 25. Wow. And 
and then get it checked every three years after that and you'll never have to go through this bullshit that I'm going through right now. We're, we're the best, right. One of the best things to come out of this is we'll have our kids checked in their early 20s and they're never right. going to get bowel cancer. I had a friend, quite a few people have gone to get checked since I've, I've put it out there and a friend messaged me just three days ago and he had seven polyps removed from his bowel. Bowel cancer right. starts a polyp in your bowel but if you have them removed and you get checked every couple of years you'll never have to you'll never get bowel cancer so it's very avoidable but we just need to um get educated around it and get checked right like so many things that's yeah yeah don't hesitate (laughs) to get educated around this stuff yeah i was lucky i went to the doctor straight away we don't mess around i just go yeah and it was expensive, but if I was in the public system, it would have taken a year to get a, get a colonoscopy. So we paid the money. It was $1,600 to go and wow. get checked. Yeah. Wow. But it's the best money we've ever spent. If I waited a year, it would have been in my liver and lungs, and I, it would have been a hell of a lot harder battle than what I'm going through now. Right. Yeah. So if there's any blood in your poo, don't put <laughs> If you take nothing away from this, besides that, at least take that away from this conversation. (laughs) And don't let your doctor tell you that it's just a hemorrhoid. (laughs) Just go go and get checked. I know the health system in in America is tougher than what we got here, but find a a way. Take a loan from your mate. Yeah, it is tough. Um, Yeah. Well, thanks. That's good. I mean, and there's other people listening in other parts of the world too. So wherever you are. Yeah. yeah awesome. Oh, well, so thanks. nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah.